Well, good morning. Hope everyone had a great uh, Valentine's Day. Lots of love all around. Susan and I kind of, one of those days with kids going all different directions, we were kind of passing a few high fives, but uh, it, was, it was sweet. Tonight, though, we're, we're getting to go out, so it'll, it'll be good. Um, we have been in a great series. Uh, John uh, really since the Lord was leading him to the Sermon on the Mount for kind of the, I think, these first five months of this year. And uh, for many of you, you've, over the years, you've read these scriptures over and over again. For some of you, they're fresh. But uh, I, I just love the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus comes and uh, really shares with his followers some of the most practical ways to, to follow him. And, uh, and so we've been in the midst of walking through this passage, and we will continue to do it. Um, you know, it begins in, in verses 1 and 2 and following with the Beatitudes, which you all are familiar with. And, and within those Beatitudes, Jesus gives us a picture really of his heart and what a blessed life looks like, what a happy, a full life, the kind of life that he wants us to have. And he, he talks to us about uh, being blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are desperately dependent on God and those who mourn and the meek and the gentle and and it goes on and on and on those who seek fully after him and how that is such a a blessed life and then in uh in verse 13 he he starts talking about his followers being the salt of the earth and and the light of the world and and he he paints this picture that our lives as followers of Jesus we are a reflection of him that through our lives and our influence, uh, we influence for his kingdom. That the idea when people come to know us and are around us and they experience our love, our encouragement, they experience our life. Because we follow Jesus, his desire and what we were created for is to be a reflection of that glory. And then as, as he moves on in, into Matthew, and we're going to see it, he gets very, very practical about what, the, what that looks like. Uh, and in chapter 5 specifically, Jesus walks through a variety of different situations. And he begins to paint a picture of what is on his heart. And John has given the title of this series, uh, Without Borders, and, and I, I love that. Because so often in our lives, we can put God in this little box. Or what, what he is like, and, and what it means to be a follower of him, what, how to please him. And, and that's what was happening that day. For the Jewish uh, people, they, they had Jesus and, and they had God, they had, not Jesus, they had God and, they, and they pictured this is what it looks like to follow the law. And, uh, and they followed the law, but when Jesus talked about them, how often did he describe, man, the outside of your cup is clean, but the inside is dirty. You know, you have such pride, but you have no love. And so Jesus begins to say, hey, this is what you say, or this is what you believe this means. But here's a different way to look at it. And so John dealt a few weeks ago with this whole idea of murder. Right? We kind of know what murder is. And then Jesus begins to paint this picture. Man, when we have anger, when we look at people and go, they are so, such a... words we don't use in our house, but stupid, and <laughs> they're empty-headed, they're ridiculous, and, and there's anger that flows out of us, he says, that's murder. And last week we talked about this idea of adultery, and the reality is Jesus says when we lust after another, 
we've committed adultery in our heart. Right? We've sinned. And just lesson, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then he'll go on, and in future weeks we're going to look at this whole idea of how do we respond when someone has wronged us. Many people in that day said, man, when you're wronged, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus said, man, there's a different way when you follow me. But today on Valentine's, the day after Valentine's Day, we're going to deal with a different, different topic. And it's specifically around this idea of divorce. But what I really want to focus on is the idea of marriage and what God designed it to be. Now, when we talk about divorce, in a room this size, there are all kinds of emotions. Some of you had parents that went through divorce. Some of you have been through divorces, and, and there's extreme pain and disappointment and, and all types of emotions around that, and I, I recognize that. Um, what we need to know about divorce is that sin is always involved in that, right? What we're going to see is that when God created marriage... We created man and he created woman. He created marriage. And marriage is holy. It is sacred. And God created it for a lifetime. But we live in a broken world. And in that brokenness, even something as beautiful as marriage, there is brokenness in that. And, and I, I'm not going to deal a lot with uh, where is justified divorce, where is it not justified. And, and there, there is such long conversations that can go around some of that. Um, the scripture specifically today will speak around the area of sexual immorality and that that is a grounds for divorce. The scripture talks about if you are wed to someone who is outside of the faith, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're wed to someone else and that person does not want to be married to you because you love and follow Jesus, that's justifiable. And so there's some pictures in the scripture that, that gives us some guidelines around that. But I would say our, our focus is going to be on the idea of what is God desire for marriage and, and long for it. If, if for you, you've experienced a divorce or you're in the midst of it, uh, uh, I would say that, man, God, there is such, in the midst of all that, there is great love. There is forgiveness. There is healing. And in the midst of any of our failures, God can show up and he can redeem and he can restore. And I believe he can do that for all of us. But as we look at Matthew 5, 31 and 32, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the scripture. I might have to put on my glasses today. Sometimes when I hit 40, I, t- I tell people all the time, all of a sudden my eyes got blurry. I've never had to wear my glasses because I've got it on about uh, type 16 right now. <laughs> but they're a little bit, so if I pull on my glasses, you know it's getting really bad. But uh, uh, it's a beautiful passage, Matthew 5, 31 and 32, where Jesus says, it was also said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her, give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You may be seated. It's helpful for us to understand the historical context of what Jesus was dealing with in that day. In the Roman Empire... Um, in the beginning of the Roman Empire, uh, marriage was held in pretty high esteem. Uh, you could be divorced, but it was only usually around things such as sexual immorality. 
But as time went on, and the culture became more and more immoral, uh, their standards for marriage also began to, to, to last, uh, to fall back. And uh, by the time Jesus was on earth and ministering among the people and walking in, 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 in his way, uh, pretty much in the Roman society, you could be divorced for any reason you wanted. Uh, initially, a man could divorce a woman for any reason, but as time came there, a woman or a man, either one could choose together to divorce, or if uh, one of them wanted to divorce, it was easy to do. You'd just write out a certificate of divorce and you would give it. In fact, if you were not, if you didn't even give them a certificate of divorce, but you married another person, you were automatically divorced from the person you were properly married to because you'd only be married to one person. And so within that culture, divorce was rampant. But for many Jews, it wasn't much different. About a generation before the time of Jesus, there, there were two rabbis, Hillel and Shammai. And uh, they both had different interpretations of Deuteronomy 24.1, which says, it says that a man is to give his wife a certificate of a divorce if she finds no favor in his eyes because he was found a matter of indecency in her. And so groups from both of those rabbis in following years and following generations would have great arguments around theology and doctrine. And they'd have many arguments around this whole area of divorce, specifically around that matter of indecency that is found in her. Shammai and his followers held a very much more conservative view of that, that uh, what the scripture was describing, they would say, would be sexual immorality. Hillel basically believed that it was anything that you found disfavor in. For any reason. So... It ultimately ended up, uh, allowed a man to divorce his wife for almost any reason, being a poor cook, speaking too loud, or even if someone else was prettier, uh, they could have a divorce. And it happened over and over again. And so many in that culture followed Hillel, and if they wanted a divorce, they could basically say, for any reason. And so it happened all the time. And so when they're coming to Jesus... uh, it's the realization that missed in that culture held marriages very little regard. And the divorce was all over the place. And so Jesus, again, speaking to them, said this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's what Moses said. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, when we look at in our culture, it's not any different. And we know this. You guys have heard the statistics. In America, there is one divorce approximately every 38 seconds. That's nearly 2,400 divorces per day, 16,800 divorces per week, and 876,000 divorces a year. 41% of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. George Barna, his research group, did studies on this. And uh, when I heard this a number of years ago, uh, I guess it should have surprised me, but it didn't. It found that among Baptists, 29% of Baptists have gone through divorce. 29%. 
That's the highest among any U.S. religious group. And what they find among Protestant believers that the averages for divorce, the the 40% of marriages, uh, the 60% of second marriages, the 73% of third marriages, there's absolutely no difference. I think part of what we're going to see today is that for God, God looks at marriage and it is a sacred thing. And as we approach this scripture, uh, essentially when when John left town to go to China, it happened to be the passages we landed on where, do you all remember if you were here, uh, one was Ephesians 5, 31 and through 33, I believe. Might have been more, but it was all around uh, wives uh, submitting to their husbands and then husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And when we came to that scripture, I had some prerequisites, uh, some things that I thought I had to buy into if we're going to really live that out. And I would say the same is true when we talk about sacred marriage and, and for marriage to become what God longs and created it to be. There, there's some buy-ins that we have to have. Uh, the first one I would say is this. We must have a respect for the word of God and a commitment to follow what it says. To live a life together with another person, it is a miracle. And if we do not trust the scriptures and believe what God says and hold a commitment to it, if we believe God says marriage is a commitment for life, and because God's word says it, that you buy into that, I think it's an impossibility that we can make it. I mean, it happens. Miracles happen. But without a commitment to saying, God, I believe you said this. I'm committed to this. Yeah, I was thinking about, I have an unusual family in our day. I'm thankful for the heritage that I have. But I know it's possible. It's unusual, but it's possible. Um, But for my kids, I'm thankful right now. So Susan and I, we both have two siblings. And uh, so there's six families. Of those six families, all of us have been married, uh, except for the youngest, 25 years or more. I can't tell you how long I've been married. After I hit 25, it it points too much to our age, so I've been told I can't tell. But anyway, we're over 25 years. Uh, Our parents have all been married over 50 years. All of our grandparents uh, were married for over 50 years. Um, All of our great-grandparents were married. Uh, without a divorce. I know that's very unusual in our culture. Um, But I know it's possible. Um, But as we look at this, being committed to God's word is crucial. The second thing we need to understand is to be a Christian is to become like Christ. We must understand that the very core of the gospel is to die to ourselves We have to die to ourselves and we have to first live in total submission to God. The life that God has called us to is a life of sacrifice, right? To follow Jesus is to die to our own wishes and desire to do his will. And to allow his power and his presence to live through our lives. And for a healthy, sacred marriage, it takes dying to ourselves and living for him and loving sacrificially. Third thing I would say is, you know, when you talk about marriage versus divorce and all that, it can become so, just like it's a legal document. I think it is a buy-in that God's longing for the marriage relationship is a relationship of romance. It's a relationship of intimacy, of passion, of joy. And the reality, sometimes our marriages aren't like that. There's seasons that are hard. 
And a lot of the times we're in ultimately very difficult places. But I think believing that God created marriage, not for it to be cold, not for it to be distant, not to be just a legal document, but God created it for romance and for love to share and what we're going to see ultimately to reflect Him and His presence and His glory in our lives. Uh, We have to believe that. Even if in our circumstances it's not happening, it's believing that God's perfect will, His desire, is for that to be true. There's another passage, we're going to put it up here on the screen, but later on in Matthew, Jesus, in a similar situation, speaks about marriage and divorce and so, uses some of the same words. Listen to this, Matthew 1, 19, 1 through 9. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, you can, again, knowing what was going on in the Jewish community in this day, they're trying to catch Jesus. They're trying to make him make sides. And this is how he responds. He answered them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And so again, what Jesus is saying, he's holding up marriage, he's saying, man, God's desire is for marriage to be this miraculous thing where two people become one. Marriage is sacred. That word sacred literally means revered due to association with holiness. If you look at the word holiness, holiness means dedicated or consecrated to God or to set apart for God. And and so that's what marriage, sacred marriage is this idea that marriage is set apart for God. He created it. He made it. It's for his glory. When we were talking uh, back in November around Ephesians 2, uh, 5, Ephesians 5, I want to read that to you again. And in this, Paul uses that same scripture that, that two fleshes become in one. And he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then in verse 32 it says, This is a mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Remember when we talked about this, if you were here, that this idea there is a mystery to marriage. And that mystery is that marriage points to something far greater. It points to the fact that Christ and the church are one. The mystery is the one flesh, one pointed to something in the future of when the church will become one with Christ. And so what Jesus and and Paul, what they're describing here is that your marriage, this union of a man and a woman coming together and becoming one flesh, was and is a picture of something greater. The thought that God and I would become one. And so part of this whole mystery of marriage and the beauty of marriage and what God created it for is that it would be a reflection of something far greater 
than just two people coming and becoming a one, one person, one family. Even a happy family. It's this idea, as followers of Jesus, when people look at our marriage, it would be a reflection of His love, of His grace, of His power, of His mercy, of His beauty. And so marriage is sacred because it is a reflection of Him. So marriage is pointing to something greater. And they paint a picture of Jesus. So as we talk about sacred marriage, we need to think about the fact that marriage is set apart for God and His purposes. Marriage is meant to bring fame and glory to Him. Um, you know, when you, when you think about the wedding vows that we take, I mean, they're beautiful. John just did a wedding yesterday, and you can think back to the vows that we had. And um, I was thinking about our vows, and, and when Susan and I got married, I, there was a point in the wedding where I said, I, John, take you, Susan. And you said very similar things if you were married. To be my wedded wife, I receive you as God's special gift to me. I promise you my love, my devotion, my faithfulness. From this day forward, remember this, and it says, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, till death do us part. And as we said that before God and, and others, I mean, we meant it, right? We all mean it. But when you see that actually expressed in life, isn't it a beautiful thing. You know, as I see people not necessarily get older, but if one spouse gets sick, and you've heard it, and you've seen it, and some of you have lived it, where you stand by their side, where you serve them. Recently, Debbie broke her foot, and she, we were talking about it last week, she didn't like being needy. But I got, I watched Dennis take care of her in ways he didn't have to, Right? And some of you have done that with spouses over the years when they've gotten sick or have gone through things. I was watching an NFL special story on uh, ESPN or one of the stations. They record these stories of athletes, and it was about Brandon Marshall. And I kind of came in and out of it, but it it was a beautiful story. I guess he has some kind of mental illness. Brandon Marshall is an all-pro receiver for the uh, Chicago Bears, and... uh, he used to have all kinds of anger issues and domestic issues and all sorts of things. And uh, he had mental illness. And, and there, he was telling his story. And now he's courageously made a stand for, uh, in that community and about his illness. And, and uh, uh, in this art, he talks about, and, and they're interviewing he and his wife at some point, and he looks over at her. And, he, and I mean, they the respect because she stuck with him through all of that, even through domestic abuse, and now where they are, and he said, baby, I couldn't have done it without you, right? And I don't know where they are in their faith journey and all that, but it was such a picture of what God desires. When we say, it's sickness and her health, for richer, for poorer, when you stay together and when you journey together, how it reflects the power and love of God in our lives. So what does that look like for us today? I just have three things I'd like to say as we close in just a few minutes. And I kind of broke it down. I think marriage is usually in three different areas. It's usually good, or it's hard, 
or it's dead. And sometimes it's kind of all three, and it's, it's marriage, it could just be life. Sometimes it's good, and the next day it can be really hard, and sometimes it could just feel dead. And I imagine for all of you, if you were married, I mean, it, there are places where you can identify with that. So in those seasons of life, in those places in our marriage and life where it is good, I think what God wants us to see and do is understand we need to protect and nourish it. Protect and nourish it. In our marriages, for them to stay healthy, for them to grow, they've got to continue to be fed. They need to be nourished. They need to be protected. We, uh, some of you have been over to our house. If you haven't, we hope you'll, you'll get to soon. We love moving into, into the community and being close. I love being five minutes from White Oak. Um, but in this house, it's a house from the 1940s, and they've done a really great job fixing it up. But they have roses all around the outside. And that makes me nervous. Because this lady that took care of them, I mean, they were absolutely beautiful when we moved in. I hope roses aren't supposed to look beautiful right now with this weather because they don't look beautiful. So don't tell me if they do. We're, we're hoping for a miracle there. But I know if they are going to do well, the truth is I'm going to have to pay somebody to take care of them. But if I knew how to take care of them and I would keep up with the watering and get, putting in the right vitamins, they would be nourished, they would be healthy. In the same way in our marriage relationships, it's, it's so easy to become comfortable with where we are. That we stop doing the things. So when I think about protecting, I think about building rhythms of life and living that create romance, that creates the time and the space that nourish a relationship. So, so, so if we catch ourselves being so busy that we don't have time together with our spouse, we need to be careful. We need to bring those rhythms into life. I think part of protecting is, is even looking at some of the scriptures we've been talking about. The whole sermon, if you didn't have a chance, weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to listen to it. Around lust. Around building boundaries and accountability in your life that protects you from giving in to lust. Where your affections leave your spouse and might go to another person. That your heart could be set. So build those boundaries, those protections. And nourish your relationship. So when it's good, you know the things that bring life to you and your spouse. Give time to those things. When marriage is hard, I say own it. What do I mean by that? Um, Sometimes marriage is hard just because life is hard. I mean, there are seasons of life that life is going to be hard. It might have to do with your job. It might have to do with relationships. It might have to do with people in your family situations. Um, it might be a result of your own failures. It might be a result of just the situation of life. But there are seasons where life is really hard. And so for me, part of owning it is recognizing we don't need to, to complain about those seasons. We don't need to blame in those seasons. We need to recognize that God is still God. In the midst of those seasons that we invite him to come and do the work of transformation that he longs to do. I like to describe this idea that our need is a platform for God to show up and reveal his glory and power in our lives. 
So when life is hard and you are in need, you can get mad about it, you can blame and fuss and be frustrated about it, or you can recognize it is what it is and say, God, I want you to come and do your work in me, show your power, show your glory. I need you to show up in my life. For most of us, we can look back at our life and recognize those times of need. If you were to tell your story in a group of people, there would be milestones of where God showed up and did powerful things in your life and where your spiritual growth went from here to there. Places where you're reminded of his love. And usually those places are where we've had heartache or disappointment and we lost hope and we turned to him and he came and did the impossible So in our marriage, sometimes you're at a place where your marriage is just really hard. Invite God to come and to show up and do a work in you. Second thing, when I say own it, I mean focus on yourself. A lot of times in relationships in general, we want to fix everybody else around us. How effective are you at doing that? I'm not. I've got enough stuff of my own, but... When you try to change somebody, mostly it's not going to be effective. And you get all frustrated. But God, I think, wants us to say, man, what about me? What can I change? I was talking to Susan yesterday. You know, sometimes I think you can be so busy and uh, focused on just living and doing the right things that we're not even thinking about, like, what are the areas that God might be speaking in my life that I want to change or grow in? And so I told her, man, I, I want to start picking, like, one thing a month. And saying, this is what I want God to change in my life. This is what I want to build into my life for this month. Think about it. At the end of the year, if you had 12 things, significant things that you said, man, I want to live into this, or I want to do this, or I don't want to be known by this. And you had 12 things at the end of the year, I mean, that would be powerful what God could do through that. So part of owning it is saying, man, I am responsible for myself. And becoming who I need to be and doing what I'm supposed to do. To win marriage hard. Bring it to the Lord. Trust Him. Last thing I say, when marriage is dead, hold on and give room for God to work. Hold on. Um, This is where it goes back to the fact that uh, If you are in a really, really hard marriage, um, really hard, and you've lost hope, if you can come back and believe, first of all, God's desire for what marriage is, what he created it for, and you could come back and believe in his word that says God can do the impossible, And you can lean into like, man, God, uh, what can you do in me? (laughs) It's hard, what can you do in me? And you will hold on. I think in our culture, we are so quick to go and get divorced. And I've seen it happen many times um, where there is just time given where God can do a miracle, where you get the body of Christ, you get believers praying. You get people loving your spouse and loving you and encouraging you. I'm not saying do it alone. 
I'm not saying there's not even seasons of separation. I mean, if there is abuse, if there's been different situations, I mean, it, I, I've seen people separate for a season for a purpose where there is wise counsel, but they don't, they're not quick to divorce. And God comes and he does a miracle. He can do it. Does it always happen? No. Does it mean we can nev- there's never divorce? Well, no. But I'm saying if we can hold on sometimes, even when it's dead, even when we've lost the feelings, I've seen God rekindle a relationship where there is so much hurt, where there's no love, there's hatred, there's bitterness, and a lot of it is justified when you look at what's happened. Sometimes on both sides. Where God came and he transformed. When God renews our heart, can he can do anything. You know, if God can take the Apostle Paul, who was a murderer of the church, and when Paul encountered Jesus on that Damascus road, and then began to walk with the body of Christ, and God would change that bitter, hateful, murderous man into a a man who wrote much of the New Testament. Um, And you've got your own stories, and you know of other people. I mean, God can do anything. So I'd encourage us to hold on and see what God can do. You know, God has given us uh, a gift of marriage. And so all gifts aren't always easy. And, and marriage is not easy. But I believe God created it to change us and to change the world. And I believe that in any marriage there is the hope that God, in his goodness, can allow our lives to become a, and together really a reflection of his love and his power. And that's my prayer. It's my prayer for my life and my relationship with Susan. It's my prayer for you. Um, in just a moment, uh, I want to pray for you and, and give you time just to to respond just between you and the Lord and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to come and, and share in communion in the Lord's Supper together and um, I love the fact that we're getting to do this every week because it's such a response because the calling in life as followers of Jesus is to be a reflection again of him and so as we recognize Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross where his body was broken for you and me, and we take that and eat that, we, we hold on to that, that, the depth of his love. And then we, we take that cup and we're reminded of the blood that was shed that gives us a right relationship with him. And as we take those things, we're reminded of the fact that he has rescued us. And that he can continue to do that work, not only in us, but in our marriages, in our families, in this community, in this world. Um, I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. and and, uh, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. The the song we're going to sing for communion is uh, You Won't Relent. it's, It's a great picture of that unrelenting love for the Lord that takes away all the borders in our life. 
All the borders of what God says, what the world says, our marriages can be. All the borders of what it says the church can be to the Lord in, in, in this community. That he never stops pursuing us. Lord, I pray um, Father, that you would continue to speak into our hearts and our lives of your dreams for us, your dreams for our marriages, your dream for what you created us for. And Father, that we would uh, be captured by the fact that in our brokenness and in our sin, you love us. And you and you, Jesus, we have life. And that life can be full. And so, Father, today we, we thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.